0: Hello and welcome to the Range Project Podcast. This is Chris McGrory and I usually am interviewing the people around me to learn about what they do, how they do it, and the mental frameworks they have. But in this one I'm trying something new. I'm on vacation for the month in Costa Rica and I'm trying to hit pause, but I just finished a book and as I was going through it and putting my notes into my computer, I figured it could be cool to do like a book summary. Just main takeaways, important arguments, interesting opinions, and really anything else I feel was valuable after reading. So... In this one I'm going to talk about the story of the human body by Harvard professor Dan Lieberman. Now my roommate took his class this semester and that basically went through the entire book and from overhearing his lectures I was intrigued. The book first outlines the human body's evolution. How the search for food and the globe's climate change together shaped us into the bodies we have today. Then Part two looks at how the agricultural and then industrial revolutions greatly changed our environments, which is not good since we evolved for a very different way of life. And lastly, part three explains how modern ailments from diabetes to flat feet can be understood from our evolution and what we can do to change the direction of a largely unhealthy future. With that said, here are my thoughts. One, two, three, do it! First, an important point that not only shapes the whole book, but shifted my own perspective. We didn't evolve to be healthy. We evolved to reproduce as much as possible under diverse and challenging situations. Now, this alone explains a lot. We didn't evolve to be healthy. Which explains why we are really good at keeping fat on us since it stores energy. And we definitely didn't evolve to maximize mental well being either, which explains anxiety that could keep us alive. And already I'm feeling more sympathetic towards humans. Now, a second point of equal importance, at least I think, is that natural selection is context dependent and never reaches perfection because our environments are different and always changing. So, right out of the gate, this made me think like, wow. The argument that we should be eating like a hunter-gatherer just really does not hold up on its own. Those early homo species had entirely different constraints where it made a lot of sense to eat meat when they could since they needed the calories. But that doesn't mean it's optimal for human health. It was just what was best for reproductive success given the environment. So those two points alone were worth the read. But now let's get into some more details. Part one was a bit of a slog for my interest, but it did answer a few questions I didn't even know I had. And number one, how did early hunter-gatherers hunt? Well, what we lack in climbing ability, speed, and agility, we make up for in endurance. And since food was spread out as global temperatures shifted, Natural selection preferred those who could walk upright and more efficiently to get food. This obviously changed the shape of our bodies from our feet, think of your arch like a little spring, to our hips, like we can move forward without swaying left and right like a chimp or ape, and all the way to our inner ears, which keep us balanced, right? Now, our hunter-gatherer ancestors engaged in what's called persistence hunting, something I had never heard of the hunter basically jogs after a big animal forcing it to gallop for a long time and in the midday heat but since being on two feet means less direct sun exposure and a lot of surface area for sweating these hunters kept cool which meant they could walk and run until the animal literally passed out from heat exhaustion pretty cool And here I was thinking our ancestors had spears like right out of the gate, but I was wrong. Now, this actually partly leads to a second question I had. Why do we have such big ass brains? Basically, it's about having extra energy. The meat that supplemented these diets, I'll say that again, the meat that supplemented these diets gave early homo more calories And simple food processing like cutting and mashing helps save calories from chewing and digesting. And put together, you get more energy for growing a brain. Now, hunting and gathering plus bigger brains made us adapted for cooperation. Early homo had to get good at sharing because there was no guarantee you'd find food from one day to the next. So there was an intense selective pressure for reciprocity and being egalitarian. Suggesting we might be wired for the same, I think at least for those like in our inner circle, right? So put together, part one explains the environmental conditions that gave us the bodies we have today. And part two goes into how that all changed, starting with the agricultural revolution and then followed by the industrial revolution. Now, farming gave us a lot more calories than hunter-gatherers, but a lot less diverse of a diet that our bodies evolved to eat. Farming and storing food makes for less nutritious diets, full of too much starch without fiber, and also risks extreme food shortages, problems that our ancestors did not have. And they might not have had excess calories, but, Our ancestors rarely had famines or malnutrition. But, since they couldn't reproduce as much as farmers, guess what persisted? And the Industrial Revolution changed our diets and environments even more. All in all, it made us save a ton of energy. You and I can go through our days starting in a warm and soft bed, pressing a button to cook food that is soft and easy to eat, take a car and then an elevator to our air-conditioned classroom or office, and then spend all day sitting. And this introduces the idea of mismatches. We evolve for one environment and live in a completely different one. These mismatches then lead to mismatch illnesses and diseases. These are things that can kill, like type 2 diabetes, heart disease, reproductive cancers, and also stuff that just makes life tough, like Back pain, nearsightedness, and impacted wisdom teeth. While we know the conditions that cause these illnesses, we don't do anything but treat the symptoms, leading to another big idea: disevolution. And disevolution happens when we pass on environments and behaviors like giving sugary foods to kids that we know hurt our health. The thing is that they are non-infectious diseases, they don't get in the way of reproducing, and sometimes even have sociocultural benefits. So, they persist from generation to generation. Part 3 is great because it explains from an evolutionary perspective why we should do the things we know we should. Like eating a diverse diet, like moving around through the day, and like limiting the time we spend staring at books and screens. And the most interesting part to me was about diet and type 2 diabetes. Now, I thought I knew about this disease, but then I read chapter 10. A point that kept getting repeated was how important fiber is to regulating the digestion of food and therefore the release of sugar into our blood. When sugar floods the system, it can't get used by cells right away, so insulin gets released to tell the cells the sugar needs to get stored as fat but the body overdoes the insulin, which makes our blood sugar crash, leading us to crave more sugar. And over time, the cells become insensitive to insulin, so blood sugar rises chronically, which leads to diabetes. Since our body is built to eat slow digesting food that take work to find and then eat, it's no wonder we have crazy number of diabetics and a lot of obesity in the developed world. It sounds simple, but early enough in the process, Diet and exercise really can reverse diabetes. Doing so ever so slightly makes the mismatch between body and environment a little less mismatched. And another interesting example from part three is back pain. Picture yourself sitting all day. That position shortens the muscle on the front of your hip, which is the hip flexor, and that tugs on your pelvis, which are all the bones between your upper and lower body, So it tugs that pelvis forward, which arches your lower back too much, which gives us back pain. Back pain as a symptom is something we treat with rest and recovery when in fact it is a sign. It's a sign that we are not moving enough. And there are plenty of other examples like impacted wisdom teeth, flat feet, allergies, and osteoporosis, but I'll save those. The book ends with what to do. Lieberman outlines how to get us a little bit closer to living in alignment with what our bodies evolved to do, but that doesn't mean getting people to change is easy, which is where the behavioral science stuff that I studied at school comes into play. He makes a case for putting more resources into prevention because we do know what is causing these illnesses. For some, education might be enough, but that's the minority. For others, it's going to take more. Just like we make it difficult, but not impossible to the point of infringing on personal freedom to get alcohol and tobacco, why don't we do the same with highly processed sugary foods for kids? Why not nudge people with warnings and taxes? Now, I think this is a great idea, but I also think it misses some structural issues as to why the fast food or sugary foods are the most accessible in the first place, which Lieberman does mention. I think nudges need to work their way up the food chain to companies in government subsidies that are making healthful foods really hard to access. So that's how the book ends, but not where I want to end. I just want to reiterate the main takeaways. Number one, we did not evolve to be healthy. We evolved to reproduce. Number two, natural selection is context dependent, so we never evolve to be perfect. Number three, we have a mismatch between what our bodies evolved for and the environment we live in now, which leads to most modern ailments. And finally, number four, we know the causes but fail to change the environments and behaviors we pass on that lead to these illnesses which promotes disevolution from generation to generation. So, with those key points said, there is still hope. With keeping how we evolved in mind, we can change our own behavior in environments to help us live fuller, more healthful lives, free from suffering that our ancestors didn't go through. We should be making progress over time, right? Hey, everybody. Thank you all for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed that one. As always, you can find links to everything we discussed, show notes, and a lot more goodies like my favorite reads on my website at chrismcgrory.net. That's C-H-R-I-S-M-C-G-R-O-R-Y.net. Thanks so much and see you next time.